When Corey was telling you about uh, his ride along with Justin, you guys rode pretty much side by side the whole way. Um, those are the type of things that often we will look back on and they are soul-stirring moments in the sense of just like seeing that sign or seeing the volunteer base that made that possible. So today, what I want to do is I want to start just a short little series uh, called Soul Stirring, Reawakening to All That Is Sacred. And by all, I mean all. Sometimes we regulate um, spiritual things to kind of like only within church or Bible study. But all of life is sacred. And because all of life is sacred, there are opportunities for us to encounter God, His love and His grace and His mercy along the way, wherever we are. So we're going to be talking about that, but let me give you a warning today. I want to introduce the big concept for about half the message. Then I want to specifically talk a little bit about sacred echoes in the second half. So the first part is a setup for the rest of the series, and then the second half of it, we'll talk about something very specific. So the way I got started in this is a couple of weeks ago, there was a Facebook post that popped up of my friends, Stan and Michelle. Now, Stan and Michelle uh, go way, way back in my life. We went to high school together. He went to a youth group in a small little church where I started to go, and it was there that I came to a knowledge of the Lord because I came from an unchurched background. And so our friendship goes a long way back. And this Facebook uh, post popped up that was celebrating their 45 years together. And what it did is it really did kind of stir within me a little bit. And so I went back to my computer, and I had been digitalizing my photos with a scan app, you know. And uh, so I thought, you know, it wasn't too long ago that I scanned some of the pictures of the wedding of his that I was in 45 years ago. Yes, that is me, next to Stan. That's what we looked like back in the 70s, kids. <laughs> and it brought back some thoughts about the longer we live, the more distance we get from some of these events that meant something very important to us at that point in time. <clears throat> and it usually takes something to spark that memory. And we are overwhelmed, I think, with a flood of nostalgia at times. It's a simple illustration, but I think it is true that our soul is something that absorbs a lot of the events and people in our life. Events and people and experiences stay with us. And even if we have long forgotten them, they are in the back of our mind and all of a sudden, something triggers that, and it comes back. And as it comes back, what we find is it resonates deep, deep within us. And as it resonates, we get to kind of live it all over again, don't we? Because I can remember the reception. I can remember picking up the wedding cake. So it was as hot on that day of their wedding as it is today. 
And I remember they had an individual make a wedding cake, and we had to go pick this wedding cake up in the morning at this individual's house. And we're in the back of the van trying to hold this wedding cake, and it's so hot, the thing is starting to get a little bit wobbly because it was a three-layer cake, you know. And we're trying our best to hold this uh, wedding cake so that it'll stay in one piece and not fly against the side of the van that we were riding in. So... All of those things kind of come back. I might have forgotten those on any given weekday, but when you see something, you hear something, it can stir something within you and me, and it brings back these things. Well, what is it that's stirring within us? Well, according to the Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it's a participation with God. It's a participation with the divine. So the movement of God inside of us is what really does give to us a lot of life and meaning and joy. And here's what Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, there's a whole lot within that paragraph, but I want you to notice this. You participate in the divine nature. How is that? Because God is love, because God is involved in the creation of life from uh, the moment the universe had the Big Bang, what we find is that his involvement in the things of everyday life is our opportunity to participate with the life of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. Well, how's that possible? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 reminds us that when humanity comes into uh, this storyline that God has created since the beginning of the universe, he takes this moment and it says in Genesis 2-7, the Lord breathed into Adam's nostrils. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when I say the word soul, but it's that immaterial part of us that makes us who we are. Now, whether you realize this or not, there is some debate among theologians about the components of man. Are we tripart or bipart? You know, those type of things. Are we body and soul slash spirit or are we body, soul, and spirit? Okay, those are theological nuances that some guys get paid to write books about. But here's what I want us to recognize. I'm more than this physical body. You're more than your physical body. We have this soulish element of us that makes us who we are, our, the component of our personalities and our gifts and what we bring to the human experience is a part of God's ongoing creation in the course of this world. Psalm 104 verse 30 says, when you send your spirit, they are created. Now this is long after the Genesis creation account. Somehow, his spirit, the spirit of God, interacts with our spirit, and there is the creation, many times, of things that are good. And you know, I think that 
element of us, that immaterial part of us, is what is stirred up inside of us when we know something isn't as it should be. So have you ever asked yourself the question, why we see cultural movements as we do? Things kind of gain acceleration as they do. I'll just take one for a moment. How is it when that video came out of the George Floyd murder, remember that event, it gained nationwide attention, not only on the news, but through demonstrations and um, even rioting and that type of thing. Why does that type of thing happen? Because there's something of the divine deep inside of us whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, whether you're an agnostic or an atheist or you're a follower of Jesus, there is something that is stirred up in us to say that's not right. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not good. Now, our souls are stirred and that's supposed to move us to action. But it's our fears a lot of times that holds us back. You know, many of the crises that we find in our world today, whether they are ecological, political, or societal, all stem from the fact that we don't treat the earth or each other as sacred, as the holders of God's spirit and presence within us. And we have fallen out of alignment with the deepest truth that we are made in the image of God. Every person you have ever locked eyes with is an image bearer of God. Now, they might not know that, or they might ignore it, or they might even pervert it. However, it is true that we have something inside of us that's there, even, be here, even before we hear the name Jesus. Take a look at what Paul says. In Romans 1, 18 through 20, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed against, from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. What truth is that? The truth that since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Really, there's something inside of us about the knowledge of God that's already there even before we hear of Christ? Yes. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We can ignore it. We can pervert it, but the truth is there's something inside of us that makes up God's presence in our life. And even though Paul will use metaphors like this, Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, even though that's a metaphor that we have become unresponsive to the stirrings of the soul, nonetheless, God continues to work in our soul. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It is not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. In other words, God's mercy, God's grace, God's love is always at work unless we suppress it, unless we push it aside, unless we ignore it. And what we find is that this means as we live our life each and every day, God goes with us. 
God walks with us in the course of life no matter how dark it might get. Remember we just finished that series last week called Night Hike, that sometimes we walk dark trails and we take, need to take a step of faith at a time. So this teaching that God is alive within us goes a long way back. John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. Christ comes into the world to enlighten us so that we might understand that God's love, God's presence, God's mercy is available in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, this all started with the Apostle John who wrote these words in his gospel. But he had a mentor. A mentor, I mean not a mentor, he had a follower. He was a mentor to a guy by the name of Polycarp. And that Polycarp was a mentor to a church father called Irenaeus. And what's fascinating about this is we have lost a little bit of this truth that God is still at work inside everyone. Because we have made salvation to be only kind of a destination. When we die, we get to go to heaven. But salvation is a deliverance of that which holds us back from understanding that God is with us, that God walks with us. And when we wake up to that, when that light shines, then the potential of that is we begin to see that God is available in the course of the everyday world. We don't have to wait until we draw our last breath. We don't have to wait until we go to heaven. It's the idea of eternal life pulsating within us as we walk through this life. Well, this guy, Irenaeus, was an individual that really built on the teachings of the Apostle John. And he taught that the universe is born out of the substance of God and that the whole earth is sacred stuff and that we should treat it accordingly. It's not something to be used or abused. It is something that is a gift. It is something that is given. Now, Western Christianity, by that I mean uh, the Western side of the church, when you go back in church history, which has led to Protestantism and the tradition of Catholicism, often ignores this. But when you understand the teachings of the Eastern Orthodox side of the church in church history, you'll understand that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then this Word brings forth everything, and it begins to enlighten us, as Irenaeus would tell us, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. And we begin to wake up to it through our soul stirrings. So that's the introduction that uh, I wanted to give to you today in terms of the series. Um, there was another individual that doesn't get much press. By the time you get in church history to a guy by the name of Augustine, which influenced the western side of the church, this man's teaching, his name is Pelagius, was often ignored. Augustinianism led to Calvinism, which was the basis for the Protestant Reformation and so forth. But Pelagius, this individual, embraced what was called Celtic, uh, Celtic spirituality. And he believed in the sacredness of the human soul, nature, the spiritual practices of everyday life, wisdom, and compassion. Those were his fivefold teachings. 
where we're going to talk right now about the stirring of the soul through sacred echoes. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about nature, and we're going to talk about the sacred earth that we live in. So here's what I want to do just for the time we have remaining. I want to talk about sacred echoes. Now, what is an echo? Well, I think all of us at times have, um, have spoken into a cathedral and it's bounced back, or we have spoken into a can- canyon and it bounces back, and it reverberates depending on the size of the object, right? So when you think about a cathedral, you say something and the echo comes back, but it's not as long. But go to the Grand Canyon and say something in the midst of this large canyon. It can reverberate a lot longer than, let's say, in a chapel, okay? So what we find is there are these sacred echoes that we can hold on to and listen for. I don't mean physically, but uh, inside of our heart. When we truly awaken to the sacredness of everyday life, and when we awaken to the sacredness of every human being, regardless of gender, race, sexual orientation, or religion, our future race depends upon us understanding that God is still wanting to meet us and lead us and give to us wisdom, not only for our own personal sake, but for the sake of the planet and the human race as well. And so a sacred echo is something that can be stirred within us as God, metaphorically speaking, speaks into our life. Well, how does he do that? So I want to talk just for a few more moments about these sacred echoes. Where do they come from? They come from our stories, they come from our symbols, and they come from our saints. Let me explain. So when we think about God working in our life, the first thing is that stories make up who we are. It connects us with other people, whether it's our family or an ancestor or a particular place where we are born. When we want to know something about someone else, it's usually a story that defines for us who that person is, and where they have come from. Think about your own life. When someone asks something of you about who you are, you will relate to a story of some sort, just like I did at the beginning of this message. I went back to 1977, to a time I was in a wedding that kind of stirred within me. Well, you might have stories from childhood or your family or your school years, some of your first loves or experiences in life, that define who you are and what you love and the passions that you have. I mean, what is it that prompted Justin and Corey to ride 100 miles in the heat that he did? Yes, uh, they did yesterday. Well, it is something that stirred within them to raise some funds for cancer research. Where did that come from? Well, it might come out of a big compassionate heart that you have, or it might be that you knew someone in your family that had cancer, or perhaps someone you knew passed away from cancer, and it resonated within you that this is a good cause, that this is something that can help other people, and that gives to me satisfaction. So our stories are our internal compass in some ways. These stories that tell us who we are and what we are trying to do. These soul-stirring moments are echoes that are built on memories, 
that we have, and many times they are the nostalgic nuances of who we are. Here it says in Psalm 111 verse 4, God is famous for his wondrous works. The Lord is full of mercy and compassion. How do I know that God is loving? How do I know that God is merciful? How do I know that God gives grace? Well, I can tell you that's only one thing, but maybe if it's connected to an experience that you have that's a part of your story, a part of your internal compass, well, then you know it, even as you go through hard times. Psalm 145, verse 5. They will uh, talk all about the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will contemplate your wondrous works. So the psalmist looks back on God's interactions with the nation of Israel. And that's what helps him and his fellow Israelites get through some very difficult times. So a lot of it comes from our stories. These stories impact our perceptions. And they are an echo of an earlier time, and we muse upon them and the wisdom that they bring to us. It might be something you read or listen to or watch or even talk about that somehow brings about this stirring of the soul. But it's not only that. Secondly, it's also from symbols as well. So symbols play a huge part of who we are and how we relate to life. And religious symbols are interesting. So I'm wearing a gold chain that has a cross on it. That means something. Usually Christianity is associated with the cross, even as uh, Islam is associated with a star and a crescent, and Judaism is associated with the star of David. All of these things are symbols that are essential for our religious belief. In fact, many anthropologists view religion as simply a series of symbols that people in a community use that hold them together, that keep them together, that allow them to understand they are a part of something very substantial. Now, in a moment, we're going to take communion, and there are symbols, a piece of bread and a cup that means something the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is celebrated. But in other religions, it might be something else. So I was doing a series one time, and I purchased this. And this is a Jewish prayer shawl. And rabbis and others would use this and put it, and Jesus probably did as well, put this prayer shawl over their head. And it would have tassels on it. And there are five knots in each of these tassels. What are they representing? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah, okay? Because it means something substantial to them to keep looking at this, uh, uh, putting it in their uh, fingers and feeling it. You have that same type of thing um, within Catholicism. It might be a rosary, something like that. That's something substantial that helps to uh, stir the soul for connection with God. And there are just all kinds of things like that. Sometimes it is a structure, even. So think about medieval Europe for a moment. Think about all of those huge, massive cathedrals. I want you to think of one in particular. I want you to think of 
the cathedral at Notre Dame in Paris. You know, the French and Parisians are some of the least religious people on the face of the earth, which is fascinating. But they have this huge cathedral. And this cathedral on April the 15th, 2019, caught on fire. And this is what it looked like. So people from all over the city of Paris were gathering around this cathedral. And when that that peak fell, when that steeple fell, people were weeping. People that might even have thought of themselves as atheists, that weren't even followers of a religion. Because there was something that was stirring within them In fact, the French news magazine um, in Paris said this, Today we weep for her in every language. Did you see some of the press of that when it was on TV? Why? Because that particular structure meant something and went back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it was lost in a moment. Not Completely, they're going to try to rebuild it, but can you imagine the amount of time that that will take to rebuild that? You see, sacred symbols are important to who we are and how we relate to God. Then lastly, is what I call sacred saints. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Well, that comes on the heels of chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it names all kinds of people and their faith, okay? They are a witness to us, or they are a motivation to us, or as we're saying here, they are a soul stir for us. You have people in your life, they are saints just to keep the alliteration here rather than heroes, they are people that mean something very significant to you. It might be a family member. It might be a professor. It might be a pastor or a priest. It might be a philanthropist. It might be your next door neighbor. But you are inspired in such ways that they call you to something greater and it is there that we meet God. So, as we think about our stories, when we think about our symbols, and we think about those people that pull us forward because of their life, all of these things make up a sacred echo that occasionally will be triggered triggered by something that we see or hear. 
And all of a sudden we can become nostalgic, and that's good. You know, I at one time was kind of skeptical of a lot of religious artifacts that people used all the time, whether it is a dashboard Jesus or using a statue or something like that. And the older I have gotten, I go, why was I being such a jerk about that? Because I was conditioned by Protestant Christianity without the awareness that for centuries and centuries and centuries, not just Christianity, but all religions use sacred stories, sacred symbols, and use mentors of some sort that's to inspire and to uplift and to enable this soul-stirring within us. So what is the sacred echo? I want to leave you with this and we're going to take communion. All of creation is a cathedral. I live inside that cathedral with its beauty and it stirs the soul. I speak of that beauty and it becomes an echo that reverberates through the corridors of humanity. You know, sometimes you will remember something that somebody says many years from when you heard it. You might never have thought of it for 20 or 30 years. So I want to close with the way I began. Sometimes there are sacred things that pop up. I got a, uh, I got a text a couple of weeks back from David Smith, uh, who was our softball team uh, captain and coach when we were playing together. And um, he texts me. <laughs> this is funny. They were out at Yellowstone National Park, he and his family. And there was a pile of manure that was on fire. You know what they thought of? A sermon that I gave years and years ago where God can take crap and turn it into something else. I go, oh my gosh. I said, Dave, I don't even remember giving that illustration. How is it possible that you remember that? Oh my gosh. But it does. Somehow things stick within us, right? And as they stick within us, pay attention to them. So we want to turn to the Lord's table. It's called the Eucharist. It's called communion. It's a variety of different things in a variety of different traditions. But think about this for a moment. Communion is a story. It's the story of God's interaction with a nation called Israel that produced a Messiah named Jesus. It has a symbol to it as well. Jesus takes a piece of bread and he says, this is my body given for you. This is the cup given in my blood. This is the new covenant. And he says, do this. Eat, drink in remembrance of me. So that sacred story becomes a sacred symbol that becomes this opportunity for us to re-engage in connection with Jesus. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Just get up. If you'd like to participate in communion, uh, there's the bread and the cup over there. Just go ahead and get up. Watch some of the cords. It's not real, uh, it's not real safe sometimes through here. But grab a, a piece of bread and the cup. Hold it. And then we will eat and drink together. And then we will close our service. Please. And you know the church has taken this 
sacred echo out of the life of Jesus and his disciples for thousands and thousands of years to continue to re-engage and reenact and allow our souls to be stirred one more time with the beauty of a life well lived, a sacrificial life that went to the cross, that spoke from the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He is the light that enlightens all men and women and boys and girls, regardless of race and ethnicity and gender and sexual orientation. And God's grace meets us here as we take the time to eat together. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Now there are several cups of wine Jesus poured at that dinner all those years ago. But it was the third cup that he took in observing the Passover. And he held it up. And he says, this is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new way to live life in my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. And all these years later, we remember that Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice to enable God to live vibrantly within us again, to forgive us for our sins, to give to us the assurance for this life and beyond. Drink in remembrance of me. Would you stand with me, please, as we close? <clears throat> and may I encourage you with this uh, little paragraph I wrote as we depart. All of creation is a cathedral. I live inside the cathedral with its beauty, and it stirs the soul. I speak of the beauty, and it becomes an echo that reverberates through the corridors of humanity. May it reverberate within you this week, wherever God leads you. May God bless you, and may you look at this, and may it inspire you. sacredness of all people that you connect with this week. Here's our closing prayer. Awake, O my soul, to the compassion of the divine within you. Awake to the sacred flow of feeling and its strong currents for change. Be true to it in yourself. Set it free in others. Awake, O my soul, to the compassion of the divine within you. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Hope to see you again soon.